0: Good evening, everybody. Happy episode 112 coming live. Well, not live. It's recorded, but right now is live. So Monday, March 1st, 827 p.m. And I was listening to, uh, I was driving from Washington, D.C. today, Annapolis. And uh, I decided to listen to a few podcasts. And there's some really amazing talent out there, especially from conservative voices. But there's some, some strong liberal podcasts out there, which dare to challenge your thought. And then I decided to go back and listen to a few of my podcasts just to kind of gain some perspective about where I was against the field. And I'll tell you, man, my podcast sounds pretty good. And I think the content is rich, but it it's not exactly where I want to be. Like I want to be literally able to sit down and write an entire show you know that's what that's what Hannity does that's what and they have writers of course I mean these these people get paid millions of years to write for Mar, write for Bongino not Bongino so much he writes a lot of his own stuff but Ben Shapiro Mike Rowe writes his own stuff and you know you get this sense and I, and now that I've been doing this for a while I get to see that a lot of these guys do the same thing I do they read up they take great great pieces that are over a period of time and then put their own spin on it. Like Dan Bongino did a great one on reparations. And I saw this and it inspired me to start diving into reparations for African Americans. And then I realized that there, I found a 2001 article that he basically wrote his entire show on. But once again, he, he used his facts and he used his words but some of it was quoted directly, and I go, "Well, is that the way most shows are done?" And it was really intriguing for me. Now, of course, I'm not doing this in the car while I'm driving because that would be against the law. I waited till I got home. But it gave me some. It gave me some faith. Here, here's what it gave me: it gave me the fact that I'm doing okay. That this show, although it's growing fast, we're ready to break ten thousand. We just we're just shy of nine thousand right now, and we should have it in the next two or three days. We're just growing fast. That the shows are steadily receiving more and more positive feedback, and it helps. So I think something that no show really does is ask questions of the audience when it's done. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to make points of inquiry at the end of our shows, because I would love for you to answer some of them. Now, some people already educate. I think it's great. Like a few memes that I put up, people say, hey, that's not correct, or that's a Russian soldier, Storm Normandy. And I put it up there for a reason. If you look at what I said at the top, it was like... I have no words, It is because it was a Russian soldier and Russians didn't storm Normandy. Although they helped in World War II for a lot of ways, it certainly wasn't on Normandy. But the point of the whole thing is, is I really appreciate when y'all contribute. So please continue to do so. Please look up your own research and find what you find. But it was interesting to hear and see growth from when I first started, which was 100% everything I said was go out and read it and then just talk about it to go out and read it and take notes and then comment throughout the process and then literally just read straight from certain articles that I found cite the source and then do commentary afterwards there's a bunch of different ways to do it and um I think all of it has benefit but it's a growth process so it was really interesting for me I I I just you know critiqued myself and said The jokes have not gotten better, but I would say that the content has been uh, more consistent. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. What do you think? Tell me below. Be gentle. And welcome to Don't Unfriend Me. Uh, I've got a joke tonight, and this is going to be an interesting show. I'm going to talk about reparations. I've tackled a lot of crazy topics in my time. This one is not going to be popular because this this is a tough subject. This is a real tough subject. And I think there's an argument for both sides. So I'm going to present both. And then I'm going to try to tell you what I think. And then we can have a conversation about it. So let's do that. So I decided to make, to make a, uh, a joke, a racial joke, because why not, right? What's the harm in that? Nobody's going to care. Are you freaking crazy? Of course I'm not going to make a joke about reparations in black Americans. I am not that stupid. I don't mind if someone tries to cancel me, but I'm not going to give them a reason to cancel me. I'm going to talk about peanuts because it was the most benign thing I could think of. I'm like, what is a joke that nobody can associate to slavery? And I'm like, okay, I know cotton was involved. I know labor was involved. I know building the white house was involved. I know mansions and fields and food, peanuts, peanuts are in the South. Oh my gosh, please tell me. And I think we're okay. I think peanut butter industry was not established at that level. God, I hope it wasn't, but I'm going to make a peanut butter joke. It seemed like the most benign thing I could, but when I started diving into the litany of jokes, I found that I could associate all jokes somehow. So here we go. What do peanuts wear on their feet? Cashews. Safe. see something new for tomorrow's show. I'm hoping we're gonna have a new intro video. I think it's gonna stay the same visually. There'll be a couple tweaks, and we're also going to uh, probably launch my site here in the next couple days. The first site that I did was was just basic, and Alex and I got it up, and this one's a little more advanced, a little cleaner. We've named the second season, Uh, as it's called outside the lines. And I think you'll enjoy the site. It's going to be much more interactive. You can go there as a one-stop shop. If you don't like watching my videos on YouTube and Facebook, which I totally get, we're going to make it easier for you to do that. Also, when we get our clothing line and stuff like that, all of that stuff will live there. So stop on by the website. If you would not mind, I greatly appreciate it. You can also subscribe, like, and follow right over here. And that's going to pop up or you click the little red envelope. Also like share and follow on Facebook. And here's all my handles. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to tell you, what the hell is my name? My name is Matt Spear. It's wonderful for you to be here. And we are diving into reparations tonight. I've got an avalanche game at 1030 and I have to work out. I was already up at six o'clock. I'm tired and I'm ready to rock and roll. Reparations. We've all heard the term the 40 acres and the mule. And there's a whole long history to this story. And I think it's something that everyone should look up and read because I don't think you think what it I don't think I think, I don't think you think what I think I think it means. Whatever, that sounds good. Let's just go with that. I don't think that a lot of Americans know the story. And that's the problem. We just got out of Black History Month. And the question I have for you is, what did you learn in Black History Month that you didn't already know? We celebrate the same things every February. Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, maybe the Tuskegee Airmen, Civil Rights, the 13th Amendment, anything else? Abraham Lincoln inside February as well. What did you learn that was new? And isn't that the point of Black History Month, to learn something new? So I always try to learn something new every single day. And Black History Month, I try to do the same. It's International Women's Day, is it not? Or something to that effect. The question is, are you going to learn anything from there? Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, do you even know when it is? About Veterans Day. If you just tried to learn from the calendar when we have these National Awareness or National Donuts Day and said, okay, well, I want to learn how donuts were made and where they came from, we would all be better people in the end. But we don't do that. So the question is, is what are we doing with Black Awareness Month? And why do we continue to celebrate when nobody participates. Now, I'm sure you're that one person who's going to come on here and say, Matt, I do every month. I, I, for 30 days, I sit down with my family. Well, first of all, it's not 30 days in February, I believe. Whew. Second, good for you. Good on you. You're doing what I'm preaching. But here's something that you may not know. And if you want to learn about it, go look up 40 acres and a mule for every African-American. And I think you're going to find a lot in there that make, will make you question reparations even more how it was offered, by whom, why it was proposed to African-Americans, just then Africans and slaves. So we're not going to go into that tonight, but I will tell you that this is going to dive into the left and the right sides of reparations. More of the argument against and the argument for. Reparations to African-Americans for slavery and the systemic oppression that has followed is now the stuff of congressional hearings and Democratic presidential debates. And we hear more and more about it each day. The one thing we don't hear is actually what those reparations are, because nobody can settle. 29% of Americans support reparation, which is interesting. 13% are Black. So a very low percentage of other supports reparations. According to Gallup, up from 14% in 2002. Increasingly, advocates ask not if. But how? Vox reports the main questions are what a reparations program would look like, who would benefit, and who would pay, and how would it be funded? They left one out, however. Would reparations be constitutional? And in my opinion, maybe not. Any financial benefits awarded to African Americans in compensation for historical discrimination would collide with well-established Supreme Court precedents. That doctrine emerged out of two decades of affirmative action cases from the mid-1970s to the mid-1900s, during which a center-right court wrestled with how much reverse discrimination against whites to allow for the sake of correcting black America's historical disadvantages. The court's answer, not much. Under the 14th Amendment, a race-conscious policy State or federal, could be enacted only if it passed strict scrutiny. That is, if it was narrowly tailored to meet a compelling government interest through the least restrictive means available. Diversity in higher education was a compelling interest, the court ruled, and could be addressed through admissions programs that took race into account but provided all applicants individualized consideration. In most contexts, though, the court required government to show that it was redressing harm clearly caused by a discriminatory policy and that government had exhausted other remedies before trying race-conscious ones. Under this standard, government contracting set-asides intended to support historically disadvantaged African-American or other minority in businesses in preference over some white-owned ones were unconstitutional. The court held because even in the former Confederate capital, Richmond, Virginia, the location of a landmark 1989 case, it was too hard to prove that any given minority business suffered discrimination at the hands of a contracting agency. Justice Thoroughgood Marshall protested quote, a profound difference separates governmental actions that themselves are racist and governmental actions that seek to remedy the effects of prior racism or to prevent neutral governmental activity from perpetuating the effects of such racism. I love Thurgood Marshall's writing. He wrote, but Justice Sandra Day O'Connor had the last word noting in 1995 that any individual suffers an injury when he or she is disadvantaged by the government because of his or her race, whatever that race may be. Union Army General William T. Sherman's January 1865 Special Field Order 15, which is where we're going to get into the order of 40 acres and a mule, calling for redistribution of white-owned lands to the freed slave, might have survived strict scrutiny because it compensated people personally victimized by slavery. Alas, President Andrew Johnson reversed it by fiat, also clearly constitutional. Reparations paid to the Japanese Americans for their internment during World War II. Nice job, Democrats. Like Sherman's order, this 1988 federal measure compensated the actual victims of a discreet policy. In his seminal 2014 Atlantic article, The Case for Reparations, Ta-Nehisi quotes, implied that the situation of American, African Americans today is essentially similar to that of the newly emancipated in 1865 or the World War II internees, and that they still suffer, not just from slavery, but from much more recent policies such as mid-20th century federally backed housing discrimination. Yet today's conservative majority court would almost certainly note that subsequent legal reforms, such as the 1968 Fair Housing Act or the 1977 Community Reinvestment Act, mitigate societal or governmental accountability and weaken the link between past policy and current hardship. As for finding a plaintiff to claim harm from reparations, courts have regularly granted whites and in a case against Harvard's admissions program, Asians, the right to sue for reverse discrimination. They would likely allow a member of a historically oppressed group to sue for being omitted from blacks only reparations. Erwin Cherminsky, Dean of the United of the University of California at Berkeley School of Law, oof, suggests that reparations could be constitutional if framed as an award to descendants of slaves, not African Americans. Any race-neutral plan, however, would defeat a principle of symbolic goal of reparations, national atonement for a uniquely racial historic sin. Quote, America was built on the preferential treatment of white people, 395 years of it, Coates wrote in 2014. Vaguely endorsing a cuddly feel-good diversity does very little to redress this. Nevertheless, that might be all that constitutional law will permit. Advocates for reparations reject these arguments. They contend the following. The claim for reparation is not against white Americans or even individual Americans. It is a claim against American government and society, which has continued from the time of slavery as all members of society share in society's benefits. They also must share the burdens in the form of taxation. Sounds an awful lot like socialism. Through slavery, African-Americans were terribly wronged and modern blacks were robbed of their inheritance. Further, blacks face racism every day. They deserve to be compensated. It always interests me how Democrats talk about African-Americans. They use blacks more than any other person when they're speaking about African-Americans. And I understand its nuance and I understand we say whites and blacks, but there's just the tone of it that drives me up the wall. The problems faced, another argument, by many blacks today come from slavery and society's ongoing racism. Blacks were uprooted from their homes in Africa and brutalized in America by a system that destroyed the family structure and degraded the individual. When slavery ended, African Americans owned nothing isolated and discriminated against. They were denied education, contacts with society, and economic opportunity. Compared to whites, blacks remain in a disadvantaged position and will remain so until they receive compensation and society's racism ends. It's interesting. And the arguments that I will be making here shortly will show you the delineation that has very little to do with slavery of why Blacks and our African Americans are oppressed today in the major cities that are democratically run. It really comes down to policy. It really comes down to government, which absolutely was held true to the yesteryear is held today. I'll make that argument. Welfare, subsidized housing, affirmative action, and other previous efforts to address socioeconomic problems of the Black underclass have been too little and too late. They failed because society has failed to come to grips with the central problem, its own racism and discrimination. This is another argument by the left. In some cases, social programs, though well-intentioned, actually increase black isolation and further degrade the black community. Amen. In addition, these programs benefit other groups, not just blacks. By doing so, they failed to address the unique claims based on slavery that African-Americans have. So I guess... We will get rid of welfare since it doesn't individually address African American needs, but everybody in a rough socioeconomic state. I can't wait for the liberals to absolve the welfare system. I will believe that when pigs fly in a frozen, hellish lake. Reparations will not promote dependency, they say. Instead, they will give individual African Americans in the community as a whole a chance to create their own economic base and become self-reliant. The cost of reparations may be great, but a debt is owed and a debt must be paid. The moral claim for reparations at least equals that of any other government program. America is a rich country, and if the will exists, the money can be found. Taxes will be raised is code for that. Another one, just as it's too early to decide how much is due in reparations, it is too early to agree on how to distribute the reparations. Fair methods can be worked out once society acknowledges its obligation to provide reparations in the first place. Really, the question comes down to can we afford reparations? Darity said the amount of reparations should be dictated by the amount necessary to eliminate the wealth disparities between black and white Americans. That would require an expenditure of 10 to $12 trillion or 200000 to 250000 per eligible recipient over 10 years. Kramer put the cost of slavery reparations alone and not including subsequent discrimination or cost of Jim Crow laws at $18 to $19 trillion, which he called a conservative estimate. His formula is based on hourly wages at the time of slavery and the amount slave owners were paid when slaves were freed. With interest and compounded at 3%, of course. 6% is more realistic. But then you end up in the quadrillion dollars, he said. He said his estimate considered only slavery rather than including the systemic discrimination that came later because that's what we had data on. We know the slave population or can estimate it for each year. And we know the wages for unskilled labor, he said. Many slaves were skilled, so the estimate is a low estimate. Why don't we just give the keys and we'll all leave? Anyone who an African-American must leave the United States immediately. We've outstayed our welcome. Well, funny, you actually hear that trope, and you hear that being chanted now. There's actually signs put by Black Lives Matter, that state most recently, as two days ago, that say Europeans might want to leave the country. Interesting. Whether the full amount should be paid, that's not up to me as a white scholar to decide, he said. I'm just calculating a conservative estimate of a quadrillion dollars. 18 to 19 trillion is a conservative estimate. Darity said the payment should come from the same place as the $1,200 checks the government sent out as part of the CARES Act to individuals who suffered from the coronavirus. Those funds were drawn against the national debt to be paid off through the sale of Treasury bonds. It can be done without creating new taxes. bullshit that's what i think of that we embrace the principles of modern monetary theory the only barrier to increasing federal spending is the potential adverse impact on inflation and anyone calling out those debts considering that there's no money in the freaking bank to pay for this we can't even get stimulus checks out where people are dying in small businesses and you want to fucking put out 19 trillion dollars in reparations for something that nobody is impacted by today Sorry, I guess I just let the cat out of the bag on which side I'm coming down on this fucking topic. To minimize inflation, we advocate doing it over 10 years. For some scholars, assigning a dollar value puts the cart before the horse. Recognition for the need for repra- reparation should come first. There are ways to enumerate it, said Julian Malvo, an economist and author. The first thing to do is look at H.R. 40. I'm a member of the NNARC. Our bottom line is, let's pass legislation, then we can figure out how to enumerate. Doesn't this sound like Obamacare? You have to pass it for us to let you read it. A lot of people get caught up with how much will it cost. The basis of this nation was enslaved labor. Bullshit. As soon as you get that, you get everything about enslavement and reparations. Here's what it comes down to. And here is my opinion on why. These are the more than 10 reasons. And I think these are honest. And they are going to stir and ruffle feathers and the soup, the primordial proverbial soup of our uncomfortability and overall sensitivity. Tough. Because as honest as I was the four, I'm going to be as honest as I can about the against. (sighs) Reparations for African Americans is a bad idea. And inherently, it's racist. I know, just stick with me. There is no single group clearly responsible for the crime of slavery. Black Africans and Arabs were responsible for the enslaving of the ancestors of African-Americans. There were 3,000 black slave owners in the antebellum United States. By the way, Lady Antebellum, Lady A, then take a black jazz singer's cover of her album and name Lady A and basically steal it from her and force her in legal means to take a name that she's had for 30 years How that's not racism, and that didn't make the front page. Lady A, great job. (sighs) I actually like Lady Antebellum, and I'm really frustrated that they did this. Anyway, are reparations to be paid by their descendants too? I'm going to reread that. The owners in Antebellum United States, black slave owners and Arabic slave owners, are reparations to be paid by their descendants too? Who would even be eligible to receive it? Is it slaves? Or black Americans, since no single person is alive and dependence from slaves is fewer than you might think. Who qualifies? How about the rich? How about President Obama, Tiger Woods, Oprah? How about people who identify with being African American today, since all you have to do is identify with being a transgendered binary horse? Is that okay? How about people like Kamala Harris, with two Indian parents, but says she's black? or Colin Kaepernick with two adopted white parents? How about anyone with African-American blood? Black immigrants this year who came into our country? How about people from predominantly black countries who are white? How much is based on your percentage of African-American blood? Would people have to take a DNA test or trace their ancestor lineage? If so, do you know how many people actually have African-American bloodlines in their family tree? In South Carolina and Louisiana, the states shaded in dark green in this photo. On the map above, researchers found that 1 in 20 people who called themselves white had at least 2% African ancestry, and in a lot of the South, about 10% of people who identified as white turned out to have African DNA. There is no one group that benefited exclusively from its fruits. The claim of reparations is premised on the false assumption that only whites have benefited from slavery. If slave labor created wealth for Americans, then obviously it has created wealth for black Americans as well, including the descendants of the slaves. The GNP of the black, of black America is so large that it makes the African-American community the 10th most prosperous nation in the world. American blacks on average enjoy per capita incomes in the range of 20 to 50 times that of black lives living in any of the African nations from which they were kidnapped. Only a tiny minority of white Americans ever owned slaves and others gave their lives to free them. Only a tiny minority of Americans ever owned slaves or know they owned slaves. Some people are completely ignorant of it. This is true even for those who lived in antebellum south where only one white in 5 was a slaveholder why should their descendants owe a debt what about the descendants of the 350,000 union soldiers who died to free the slaves they gave their lives what possible moral principle would ask them to pay through their descendants again they've already been paid So if your argument is that there are black Americans that have gotten behind because of racism or slavery, slavery, haven't they already been compensated? Per the Cato Institute, we've spent more than $23 trillion fighting the war on poverty. And if we were being honest, we would note that poverty won that war. Handing out more welfare isn't the solution. We already had a civil war where 620,000 Americans died fighting over slavery. The cost has been paid. America today is a multi-ethnic nation, and most Americans have no connection, direct or indirect, to slavery. The two great waves of American immigration occurred after 1880 and then after 1960. What rationale would require Vietnamese boat people, Russian refuseniks, Iranian refugees, and Armenian victims of the Turkish persecution? Jews, Mexicans, Greeks, or Polish, Hungarian, Cambodian, and Korean victims of communism to pay reparations to American blacks who weren't even here at the time. The historical precedents used to justify the reparations claim do not apply and claim itself is based on race, not injury. The historical precedents generally invoked to justify the reparations claim are payments to Jewish survivors of the Holocaust, Japanese-Americans, and African-American victims of racial experiments in the Tuskegee or racial outrages in Rosewood and Oklahoma City. But in each case, the recipients of the reparations were the direct victims of the injustice or their immediate families. This would be the only case of reparations to people who were not immediately affected and whose sole qualification to receive reparations would be racial. As has already been pointed out during the slavery era, many blacks were free men or slave owners themselves. Yet the reparation claimants make no distinction between the roles blacks actually played in the injustice itself. Randall Robinson's book on reparations, The Debt, which is the manifesto of the reparations movement, is pointedly subtitled, What America owes to Blacks. If this is not racism, what is? What living Americans have been hurt or benefited from slavery? Seven to eight generations since the Civil War were impacted. Who benefit? How is it still today? Is slavery a direct relation to the inner city and the struggle that African-Americans and minorities have in these inner cities. And the question is absolutely not. It's the laws. They are the modern-day slave plantations. The reparations argument is unfounded claim that all African-American descendants of slaves suffer from the economic consequences of slavery and discrimination. No evidence-based attempt has been made to prove that living individuals have been adversely affected by a slave system that was ended over 150 years ago. And I'm not talking about Jim Crow. I'm not talking about housing. I'm not talking about welfare. I'm not talking about the crack epidemic. I'm not talking about the three strike rules. I'm not talking about racial profiling. All of those things are absolutely inherently racist and against African Americans. We are talking about slavery. So before I get the litany of challenges about all of the government policies that were, let's talk about all the policies that are no longer. And we are still seeing epic proportions of African-Americans dying, living in poverty, poverty, and uneducated more than ever before. In fact, that's the entire United States. Let's be real and honest. There is plenty of evidence that the hardships that occurred were hardships that individuals could and did overcome. The black middle class in America is a prosperous community that is now larger in absolute terms than the black underclass. Does its existence not suggest that economic adversity is the result of failures of individual character rather than lingering after effects of racial discrimination and a slave system system that ceased to exist well over a century ago? West Indian blacks in America are also descended from the slaves, but their average incomes are equivalent to the average incomes of whites and nearly 25 percent higher than the average incomes of American born blacks. How is it that slavery adversely affected one large group of descendants, but not the other? How can government be expected to decide an issue that is so subjective and yet so critical to the case? The reparations claim is one more attempt to turn African Americans into victims. It sends a damaging message to the African American community. The renewed sense of grievance, which is what the claim for reparations will inevitably create, Is neither a constructive nor a helpful message for black leaders to be sending to their communities and to others. To focus the social passions of African Americans on what some Americans may have done to their ancestors 50 or 150 years ago is to burden them with a crippling sense of victimhood. How are the millions of refugees from tyranny and genocide who are now living in America going to receive these claims? Moreover, except as demands for special treatment and an extravagant new handout that is only necessary because some Blacks can't seem to locate the ladder of opportunity within reach of others, many less privileged than themselves. And to be clear, the ladder of success not everyone reaches. Most people stay on the first run. Age, time, experience, and opportunity. It's not guaranteed to every man, woman, and child. It's that every man, woman, and child are created equal and will have the same opportunity for sex, success based upon their choices. And we have to admit that there are people who make poor choices. And yes, in the inner city, I can completely understand and agree that people are not given the same amount of choices as white suburbia. But this is also talked about in many of my episodes, that it's perspective and based upon mutually exclusive perception, and realities that only impact you. We have to stop blaming the system. And we should start taking accountability for the choices that we make that don't aid in our forward advancement or climbing of the ladder. Reparations to African Americans may have already been paid, and I believe it has, since the passage of the Civil Rights Act and the advent of the Great Society in 1965. Trillions of dollars, as I said earlier, 26 trillion dollars, in transfer payments have been made to African Americans in the form of welfare benefits and racial preferences in contracts, job placements, and educational admissions, all under the rationale of redressing historic racial grievances. It is said that reparations are necessary to achieve a healing between African Americans and other Americans. If trillions of dollars from restitutions and a wholesale rewriting of the American law in order to accommodate racial preferences for African Americans is not enough to achieve a healing, what will what about the debt blacks owe to America? And this is a very thin line, and I want to be really clear. It's going to be hard to be drawn lines of delineation between this, but it is a point. I'm not saying it's valid, but I think it has some merit. Slavery existed for thousands of years before the Atlantic slave trade was born, and in all societies, but in the thousands of years of its existence, there was never an anti-slavery movement until white Christians, Englishmen, and Americans created one not that we did not take full advantage of slaves i'm not saying that but it was actually actually executed in the emancipation proclamation and the fighting of the civil war was predominantly done on the backs of white americans fact if not for the anti-slavery attitudes and military power of white englishmen and americans the slave trade would not have been brought to an end if not for the sacrifices of white soldiers and a white American president who gave his life to sign the Emancipation Proclamation. Blacks in America would still be slaves, and I am absolutely recognizing the Buffalo Soldiers in the Indian Wars. I'm also recognizing any black regiments. Of course, blacks died in the Civil War too. I get it. I understand. And every major war after that. My point is, it was initiated by white Americans and white Europeans. If not for the dedication of Americans of all ethnicities and colors to a society based on the principle that all men are created equal, Blacks in America would not enjoy the highest standard of living of Blacks anywhere in the world, and indeed one of the highest standards of living of any people in the world. They would not enjoy the greatest freedoms and the most thoroughly protected individual rights anywhere. Where is that gratitude of Black America and its leaders for those gifts? America's wealth was not built on slavery, and this is one of the largest mis- mis- misnomers ever. The South was actually held back from slavery and held, held them back from e- being equals to the North. The North was a prosperous, economic, technologically advanced area, and the South was living in the times of the cotton gin and the seed drill. They were not advancing. They were using manual labor versus using machines and technology to advance their productivity and their overall wealth, and it was holding the South back. The reparations claim is a separatist idea that sets African-Americans against the nation that gave them the freedom. Blacks were here before the Mayflower. Who is more American than the descendants of African-American slaves? For the African-American community to isolate itself even further from America is to embark on a course whose implications are troubling. Yet the African-American community has had a long-running flirtation with separatists, nationalists, and the political left who want African-Americans to be no part of America's social contract. African-Americans should reject this temptation. For all America's faults, African-Americans have an enormous stake in the country and its heritage. It is with this heritage that is really under attack by the reparations movement. The reparations claim is one more assault on America conducted conducted by racial separatists and the political left. It is an attack not only on white Americans, but on all Americans, especially African-Americans. America's African-American citizens are the richest and most privileged black people alive, a bounty that is a direct result of the heritage that is under assault. The American ideal needs the support of its African-American citizens, but African-Americans also need the support of the American idea, for it is is this idea that led to the principles and institutions that have set African-Americans and all of us free. Democratic principles will not get them there. 70 years. And that is why the American ideals need to change. It's not that there is this racist law or policy that is against black people. Yes, the criminal justice system is unfair and unequal. But I've said it before, a person who is dealing the same amount of crack as the same amount of of meth, and one is white and one is black, is going to jail for 30 years, doesn't matter upon their race, color, creed, That is a fallacy. But there are certain things, especially misdemeanors and lower class felonies that blacks are subjugated to longer sentences. And this is predominantly in the inner city with black judges, district attorneys, excuse me, with judges who are democratic, with attorneys who are democratic. And we find a lot of liberal politics in these cities and they are to blame. The best thing for black Americans, and I think that any black American listening to this show right now, I would ask you the question, why will you continue, and I have asked many people this, to vote for policies that have failed you for 70 years? What has liberal policies done for you? I will pass another question. What has liberal policies done for anyone? This isn't just about black and white. This is about bad politics. And yes, the Republicans are absolutely not out of the woods here they're not in the shadows hiding from this and my ire is focused on them too but there is only one party that believes in the Constitution there is only one party that believes in less government and not more of it and that is the party I will vote for the question is why will you not while it is unclear whether those advocating for reparations for slavery ever will be successful it is likely the debate will go on and here are the questions that I have for the audience After the passage of the 13th Amendment following the Civil War, should the former slaves have been granted reparations based upon what you've heard today? Number two, how are reparations for black slavery similar and different from the following? A. Reparations paid by the U.S. government to the Sioux Indians for lands illegally confiscated in 1877. B. Reparations paid by the West German government to Jewish survivors of Nazi concentration camps. C. Reparations paid by the U.S. government to Japanese Americans interned unconstitutionally in prison camps during World War II. And Number three, do you agree or disagree that many problems faced today by the African-American community are the legacy of slavery? Why or why not? Share your thoughts with me below. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's a tough topic, and I think there are going to be a lot of comments on this, and I hope there are. Discussion is what we need to do. I don't think spending $19 trillion is good for anybody. It'll just put more people in poverty, increase taxes, and then the minimum wage will go up even more, and inflation will happen, and ultimately we won't be able to buy a loaf of bread with the C-note. We have to understand that you can't heal the past. You can't heal the past with the people in the future and on the backs of the people in the future. Unequivocally, the U.S. government needs to say they're sorry. They need to say they're sorry to Iraq citizens who did not do the 9-11 tower bombings. They need to apologize to the Greeks and abandoning them, to the Russians. We need to say we're sorry to Native Americans, African Americans, Mexican Americans, Japanese Americans. We need to apologize for the tax and spend philosophy. We need to apologize for Jim Crow. We need to apologize for the inequities that we caused against japanese people overseas there are so many things that americans need to apologize for and we have taken ownership throughout history and we are judged and weighed upon those inequities we need to do one of the things that we have never done as a people which is stop living in the past and start looking forward to the future because if we continue to look backwards what is past is prologue for tomorrow Thank you, folks. Please join me tomorrow for episode 113. Check out the website. Check out the links. Go everywhere that you possibly can. Like, follow, share, and get the word out. I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Thank you. My name is Matt Spear with Don't Unfriend Me. And remember, this is just my opinion. Whether you like it, whether you dislike it, whether you think I'm amazing or you hate my guts, all I ask is that you don't unfriend me. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press one 22 veterans commit suicide a day. It is way too many. We need your help. Please, if you recognize that a veteran is struggling, traumatic brain injury, anxiety, PTS, depression, reach out. The conversation begins and healing will be the result. If you can't make that conversation happen, call me. I will absolutely help you. Reach out to me on my website, my email, wherever I am. And I will help you make that call and talk to that veteran. And lastly, if none of that works, go to Don'tUnfriendMe.com. Click on the VCL link or the banner in the middle of the page. You'll be connected free of charge to Skype with a free video conference call to a Veteran Crisis Hotline. And lastly, if you are a civilian, Veteran Crisis Hotline is there for you as well. Thank you, folks. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I hope you did. Leave some comments below. Let me know what you think. And I will see you tomorrow for Episode 112. Thanks for watching. Don't unfriend me, everybody. I want to recommend Alex from Alekos Design. He works on all of my video and graphic design, and he is amazing. Please give him a shot. Please head on over to his website at A-L-E-K-O-S, designs.com. And one more quick thing before we go, folks, Still Point does the music intro for the show. They are listeners. They are fans, and we absolutely love them. Special thanks that amazing song and you can hear Citizen Soldier at ReverbNation.com Stillpoint